We have an anchor that keeps the soul Steadfast and sure while the billows roll Fastened to the rock which cannot move Grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love The Anchor of the Soul with Mike Hickson Preacher for the Olive Branch Church of Christ in Olive Branch, Mississippi And now, Mike Hickson I want to begin by reading for you an excerpt of an email that I received from one of our members and it has to do with a close family friend and I want to share this with you because I at least from my vantage point it hits home it really says to me what we're facing in this country and what we're up against let me just share with you some excerpts from this email and this is written from the student's perspective. This young lady said, Today I sat in class and defended Christianity for three hours. My professor chose this day of class that was supposed to be about religion and gender to express how much he did not like Christianity. He started by asking the class who all read the Bible every day. Now listen to this. I was the only one to raise my hand. He said mockingly that I would be the expert of it for the day. Then she goes on to say, In that moment I prayed for the Lord to give me the wisdom to know what to say and the patience to handle the next three hours of class. All I've been able to think about since class is how important it is for Christians to stand up for what we believe in and how important it is to dig into the Word to have a deeper understanding of Scripture. I do not know how many people were present in that class, but I know that typically in a state university, those classes are generally quite large. And so when I step back and consider a group of young folks in a setting where there may have been 50, 100, 150 students, I don't know, And the question posed, how many of you read the Bible every day? And only one hand went up. Now, it may have been the case that only one hand went up because this young lady was the only one that read the Bible every day. It might be the case that her hand was the only one to go up because others in that classroom were too fearful too afraid. I say this and I introduce this lesson because I think we're living in a day and time when whether we realize it or not, whether we want to accept it as fact or not, we're living in an era in the history of this country where many, many people have become hostile to Christianity. And there are a lot of folks in our world today, particularly in this country, that do not like God. They have no use for the Son of God and they disdain everything about this book that we call the Bible. So that's the arena we find ourselves in today. And so it's in light of that that I want to read for you what Jesus said. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Think for a minute about that class. Interesting to me that in that class setting, this professor could speak openly of his disdain for Christianity, for the Word of God, and those who would claim to be followers of his Word. The flip side, though, what if he were to have endorsed Christianity and talked about how we need to, as a nation, embrace the ideals of Scripture? How do you think that would have gone over? Or, to take it a step further, what if that particular professor had talked about the great truths of the Quran and Islam and how people need to embrace the teaching of Islam. You see, we're living in a day and time when if you're a child of God, you are the odd person out. It's just the way it is. Just recently, we had 10 of our young folks to graduate. Nine from high school, one from college. What you need to understand and what all of us need to understand is when we send our young people to college, when we send them off, we're sending them into a hostile environment. In many respects, they're going to find themselves at the center of controversy. And the reason is because of this book and because of their lifestyle. I want to begin by, first of all, talking for just a moment or two about the challenges of persecution. As we think about the challenges of persecution, I think one of the things that Jesus is saying in Matthew chapter 5 is that if you are a follower of him, you can expect persecution. You can mark it down. It's coming. Here's what Paul said in 1 Timothy, or rather 2 Timothy chapter 3 at verse 12. All that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. You can go back to the first century and you can read about the numerous men and women who embraced the ideals of Christianity, who were followers of the way. And you can see the persecution and the trials and the tribulations that they faced. And Jesus pulled no punches. He said at the onset of his ministry that if you're going to be a follower of mine, you need to understand the road's not going to be easy, it's going to be difficult, and there are going to be people that will malign you, they will persecute you. In the first century, many were put to death. Read the book of Revelation. They lost their lives for their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. The whole book of Revelation is written against the backdrop of Roman persecution. And what the writer was saying, what John the Apostle was saying in the first century, the latter part of that era, was that even though as a child of God you might lose your life, God will still take care of you. In Revelation chapter 2 at verse 10, the exhortation was to be faithful unto death. That is, in the face of death, you be faithful. And God will give you the crown of life. 
There are many examples of those who were persecuted in days gone by. In Matthew chapter 5 at verse 12, Jesus talked about the company that we keep when we face persecution. Listen to him in verse 12. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You can go all the way back to Joseph. And Joseph in Genesis chapter 39 at the age of, what, 17, when he was sold into the hands of the Ishmaelites and the Midianites, separated from his father, separated from his brothers. They were the ones that had sold him out. He's in a foreign land. He's working under Potiphar. And what happens? Right off the bat, Potiphar's wife sought to seduce him. And rather than compromise, and here's a great example of a young person who could have made concessions, who could have asked the question, well, you know, after all, who's going to know? I'm in a foreign land. I've been separated from my father, my brothers. I've been mistreated. Why not? And his response was, how can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And do you know what he got for his faithfulness to God? prison sentence. The Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 39 the Lord was with him. And you can read the life, the narrative of Joseph and you'll find that Joseph did a lot of great things and he was a great person of faith. Not just as a young person but as he grew older in life. And then I think about Daniel in Daniel chapter 6. You remember Daniel lived during the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. And then when Babylon fell, he rose to prominence in the kingdom of the Medes and the Persians. And in an effort to bring him down, a law was enacted. And the gist of the law was that if anyone made a petition of any god or man, save the king, for 30 days, he would be cast into a den of lions. Do you know what Daniel did? He did just what he had always done. He went before God and prayed. You can read Daniel chapter 6, verse 10. Here's Daniel in the face of persecution in light of the fact that he could very easily lose his life, but he trusted God and would not recant. And then in Daniel chapter 3, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego Nebuchadnezzar had erected a golden image some 90 feet in height. And the demand was that everyone was to bow in homage to that golden image. Extreme pressure was put upon these three young men. And do you know what they said? These guys would not bow to this golden image. And what happened to them? They were cast into that burning, fiery furnace. But the Lord was with them. I bring this up because persecution is real. The prophets of old, they suffered. You can read the New Testament. Saul of Tarsus made havoc of the church. He was, by all accounts, intent on wrecking the church of Christ until his conversion. Stephen was martyred because of his faith in Almighty God. James, the brother of John, was put to death with the sword by Herod. Example after example could be cited of people that suffered for their faith. 
the point is, persecution is real. And we're going to be challenged with it, whether we like it or not. There's a second thing I want to call attention to, and that is the cause of persecution. Some of the reasons why we are persecuted. Jesus spells it out. First of all, we are, we are persecuted, we will be persecuted because of our lifestyle. Listen again to what Jesus said. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Why are we going to be persecuted? For the sake of righteousness. I want you to think about this for a minute. We are righteous people living in an unrighteous world, aren't we? Do you remember when Jesus talked to Nicodemus in John chapter 3? In that context, he said that light has come into the world. And then he said, men love darkness rather than light. Light and darkness cannot coexist. So by, by the very nature of how we live, as a child of God, as somebody who belongs to Christ, number one, we are distinct. Number two, we are to be different, aren't we? Do you remember what Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 2? He said, you are an elect race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, whom he's called out of darkness into his marvelous light. We're not to be like the world. Now, sometimes individuals within the body of Christ tend to blend in with the world. But when we're striving to live a righteous life in an unrighteous world, let me tell you what, it will produce conflict, won't it? The Bible tells us in 1 John chapter 5 that the whole world is engulfed in darkness. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He that followeth after me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. We're to be the salt of the earth, the light of the world. When we claim to be a follower of righteousness, that is, when we claim to be a follower of this book, it automatically sets us at odds with the world. Paul said, be not conformed unto the world, but rather be ye transformed. When he wrote to the saints in Ephesus, he said, you were once darkness, but now he said, you're light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. And then I think about the words of Paul in Ephesians 5.11 when he said, Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. In Titus chapter 2, Paul said, The grace of God has appeared bringing salvation to every man, instructing us to the intent that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. When you live a life of soberness, and godliness and righteousness, it puts you at odds with the world. It's just the way it is. Now, a lot of times people blend in. But what the Bible says is we're not to blend in, we're to be distinct, we're to be different. The Lord Jesus Christ said, look, if you're a follower of mine, you can expect to suffer. And the cause of persecution is, number one, because, because of our lifestyle. The second reason is because of our Lord. I want you to listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 5. Listen to him in verse 11. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely. Listen to him. 
for my sake. Did Jesus not say in John 15, verse 20, if they persecuted me, what will they do? He said, they will persecute you. All he's saying is, look, if you're going to be a follower of mine, if you're going to be my disciple, you need to understand there are going to be difficulties and hardships and trials and tribulations and expect it. It's coming. There was a day and time when in this country Christianity was endorsed by the vast majority of people. And there was a time in this country when many of our political leaders embraced the ideals of Scripture. They acknowledged the fact that God was the sovereign ruler and creator of the universe. They understood that we have been blessed as a nation of people. And one of the things that set us apart from other nations was the fact that we believed in Scripture and that we believed in the one true living God. That has changed. Those days are gone. We live in a day and time in which political correctness is what reigns. What we ought to be concerned about is being biblically correct. But too many people in our world today are concerned about being politically correct. So what you need to understand is that persecution will be inflicted upon us because of our lifestyle and our Lord. Think for just a moment or two about the repercussions of persecution. First of all, let me suggest there will be insults. There are a lot of people in our world today that have been subjected to insults, verbal insults, because of their belief in Almighty God. The young lady that I read about a moment ago, she was subjected to ridicule by her professor because he mockingly said, you'll be the expert today with regard to the Bible. Our young folks, you may find yourself in a hostile situation in class and it may be the case that you're going to be insulted because you claim to believe in God and you claim to believe in creation. Now, there are a lot of folks in our world today and they have lots of academic credentials and they will tell you that you are the product of evolution, that you are the product of some type of explosion and that there is absolutely no way, no room for a divine creator. Let me just illustrate it like this. In the late 1970s, I was living in Chattanooga and I was a student in Chattanooga. Knew nothing about Olive Branch. When was this building built? What, 1977, 78? The building we're in today? What if I just, what, what, what if I came up to you and said, you know what, I wasn't here when this building was built. And this building just appeared here. It evolved over a period of time. Nobody built it, nobody designed it. It just appeared. What would you say? say, you're ready for the nut house. It's true. Here's what the Hebrew writer said. Every house is built by some man. He that built all things is God. Now they're going to try to insult you and they're going to try to tell you that if you were wise and if you were intellectual, you would believe in evolution because after all, this creation stuff 
It's too far-fetched. It's just fiction. Well, let me ask you a couple of questions. And by the way, you might want to ask your professor this. Matter of fact, the guy at UT, I'd like to ask him, since he thinks he knows so much, and since he's so down on Christianity and Scripture. When Isaiah wrote in Isaiah chapter 40 and talked about how God sits above the circle of the earth, Isaiah chapter 40, verse 22, I want to ask you a question. How did Isaiah know that? Isaiah wrote 700 plus years before the day of Christ. That means Isaiah lived some 2,700 years ago. And Isaiah said, through inspiration of Scripture, that God sits above the circle of the earth. How did Isaiah know that? Oh, I know how he knew, I know how he knew that. He got on his computer and went to nasa.gov, didn't he? I mean, surely he did that. I mean, surely he could tap into to a computer and look at what NASA has to say. Or maybe he was able to, to go up in a spaceship and look back at planet Earth and recognize that the Earth, the globe, is round. Do you know what people thought in that day about the Earth? They thought it was flat. Now, my question to the professor and to those who seem to know so much, how did Isaiah know that? In Job chapter 26, do you remember Job? Job wrote during the period of the patriarchs. Abraham lived about 2000 B.C. Abraham was a patriarch. So now, what are we doing? We're going back 4,000 plus years in history, aren't we? And here is Job, the patriarch, and Job talked about how God hangs the earth on nothing. How did he know that? Oh, I know what he did. He went to NASA.gov, didn't he? Surely he did. No. Well, maybe he looked at some of the pictures that, that have been taken from a spaceship. No. How did he know it? Because God in heaven told him that. Now, let me tell you what. Your professor might try to make you think that you lack intelligence, but let me tell you what. The one who lacks intelligence is the person who believes in evolution. Paul said, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. And here's what the psalmist said. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. So, Mr. Ph.D., Mr. Professor, since you know so much, tell us how did we get here? The absurdity of evolution. And to think that a man and a woman evolved at the same period of time, at the same place, so that they could reproduce. Can you imagine? And, and to think that intelligent people believe this bunk. But they do. So it may be the case that you'll be insulted. And then there will be insinuations. Do you remember in Acts chapter 17 when Paul and Silas went to the city of Thessalonica and they were run out of that city? And the Bible tells us that the claim was made, these men that have turned the world upside down have come here too. That wasn't a compliment. They viewed them as troublemakers. As a matter of fact, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, Paul, Paul identified himself somebody who was in bonds for the sake of Christ. 
He suffered as an evildoer. There are going to be people that are going to tell you in this day and time, in this climate, you're a troublemaker. You're intolerant. You need to get on board with society today. You need to be more accepted. Isn't it odd that the people that will tell you you need to be tolerant are intolerant of your viewpoint? Go figure that out. There are a lot of folks today that are going to tell you you need to loosen up. I mean, after all, you start talking about Christianity and you start talking about God and His Word, you're going to make people feel bad. You take a stand against abortion in this country. And by the way, there have been over 50 million abortions, about 59 million, if I recall correctly, in this country. And there are a lot of folks, they will talk about the atrocities of Adolf Hitler, and rightly so. And then, and then they turn around and give a free pass to millions of babies that have been aborted. Innocent children. God said that he hates the hands of those who shed innocent blood. Same deal with same-sex marriage. There are going to be people that are going to come down on you because you believe marriage is between a man and a woman, a male and a female. Whose idea was that? Do you remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 19? Have you not read he that made them at the beginning? Made them male and female? For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. That's God's design. Now somebody says, I don't like it. Let me tell you what you can do. You don't like it? People don't like it? Go out and create your, create your own world. When you create your own world, you can design the, the rule book, can't you? The fact of the matter is, none of us has that ability. God is the creator. God is the sovereign ruler of this universe. And so since he is the ruler, the creator, and governs the universe, then guess what? He calls the shots, doesn't he? Whether we like it or not. And then there are going to be those that will try to intimidate you. Go back and look at, at Daniel. Don't you know they were trying to intimidate people in that day? I mean, you're going to be cast into a den of lions if you pray to God. What about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? You can either bow or burn. It's your choice. You talk about intimidation. Well, how does that relate to us today? It's possible as a young person you will be overlooked for a job because of your belief in God and Christianity and His Word. It might be that we'll be passed over for a promotion because of our belief in God and because we look to the Word of God as our absolute standard of authority. It might be the case that in a school setting that you'll suffer some setbacks and hardships because you're not willing to make concessions when it comes to your faith. Very quickly and thirdly, the crown of persecution. What should our attitude be? Listen to, what, listen to what Jesus said in verse 12. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad. Hard to imagine being joyful in the midst of persecution. And yet when Paul wrote the church at Philippi, he was in a Roman prison cell, and over and over again he talked about being joyful in the Lord and rejoicing in the Lord. What about our assurance in persecution? Listen to what Jesus said very quickly. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, 
For great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Number one, you're in good company. And number two, you've got a future. You see, Jesus said, great is your reward in heaven. You believe in God and you're willing to serve him day in, day out, be faithful until death. The promise is to crown of life. As I said this morning, nobody can take that from you. I mentioned this morning as a child of God, it might be that we're living in hostile times and people, because of our relationship to God, it could be that we suffer financially. It could be the case that we suffer socially. It might be the case that we suffer professionally. We might even suffer in any number of other ways. But nobody can, nobody can take your relationship to God from you. They can't take the forgiveness you enjoy in Christ. They can't take the presence of God in your life from you. They can't take away from you the privilege of prayer. We're blessed. Jesus said in the long ago that we're not to fear those that are able to kill the body but are not able to kill the soul. But he said we ought to fear him who is able to kill both soul and body in hell. Thank you for listening to the Anchor of the Soul. Your speaker has been Mike Hickson, preacher for the Olive Branch Church of Christ, located at 9100 East Sandage Road in Olive Branch, Mississippi. To hear this lesson again, go to olivebranchchurchofchrist.org. Tune in next Sunday for more of the Anchor of the Soul. Steadfast and sure while the billows roll. Fastened to the rock which cannot move, grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love.